Then hello, willkommen, bienvenue, konnichiwa, ni hao, jambo, marhaba, aricha. It's time for the Armist Inquisition yet again, episode 268 on Sunday, the 5th of February 2023. I'm Phil. I'm Ben. I'm Matt. And uh, we're very happy to be joined by Tim Wyatt, who's doing a, a bit of a jig there on camera. <laughs> We've been having some issues with the uh, the camera. Hopefully it will settle down as we proceed. Yes. But hopefully you can still hear us, Tim. Are you still there? I'm still here, but uh, apparently still shaking. Yeah, don't worry about it. it it's been writing itself as yes. we've been going along, hasn't it? So uh, hopefully that will continue. Mm. Anyway, uh, thanks for joining us, Tim. It's nice to see you. And good to be with you. And uh, we were just talking briefly before we started recording what we might be talking about and uh, the subject matter thereof in the realm of esoterica and esoteric research and... Um, one of the things that um, I think you were doing a presentation recently or forthcoming about this concept of the Ascended Masters and a conclave or a gathering of Ascended Masters. Is that correct? That's correct. This is um, a talk I gave to the uh, Theosophical Society a couple of weeks ago, um, which uh, was very well attended. Um, this was done by the Theosophical Society headquarters in London. Uh, but it's something I have spoken about uh, before and I will be speaking about again, no doubt, at some point as well. And uh, so I guess the first question is, who are they? Who are the Ascended Masters? Do we, do you have any examples of who these characters might be? Well, it, it's a long and difficult subject and uh, certainly the phrase Ascended Masters is um, something of uh, a misleading one because... They're not ascended in the sense that um, they are no longer part of this world, although it seems quite clear that they are very advanced beings. So it would be perhaps better to regard them as advanced members of humanity rather than um, ascended. Um, it's often said that they um, do have the capacity to appear in physical bodies, and this is an idea which... Uh, many people find very difficult to understand, but they're also able to communicate with people, um, not just on the physical plane, but on the more subtle realms in what we would call the astral world or the mental world. And they operate, apparently, so it's said, not by directly appearing in people's front rooms necessarily, although apparently they do have the ability to do this. They work by overshadowing people and introducing ideas and influencing people. They're said to have been behind many of the political, philanthropic, social, political movements of the past, such as uh, the trade union movement, for example. 
or um, indeed in the case of the Theosophical Society, which was formed back in 1875. They were pivotal, or two of them were certainly pivotal in the formation of that. They belonged to something called the Trans-Himalayan Brotherhood of Adepts. And to call them masters is also slightly misleading because they're not masters in the sense that they have dominion over other people and control. They are masters of themselves. They are human beings just like us, but who have reached a point of evolution that uh, most normal people have not yet reached, but will at some point in the future uh, be able to achieve it. The Theosophical Society was basically formed by a woman called Madame Blavatsky, who was uh, a Russian noblewoman who traveled widely throughout Europe, Asia, Africa, and America throughout the 1850s, 60s, and 70s. And she finally wound up in America in uh, the 1870s and met a number of influential people there. And she was urged by two of these masters, one, one of whom is called Master Moria, and the other uh, is called Kut Bhumi. And she was urged to form a society to bring ideas to the West, which had been enshrined in various esoteric traditions in the East, particularly in Buddhism, Hinduism, and uh, other traditions as well. And the idea was that at that point, the West was ready to receive ideas. And these ideas included things like the notion of reincarnation and the law of karma or cause and effect. Uh, the other core theosophical teachings are that um, basically everything proceeds in cycles of evolution, that everything, all the kingdoms of nature, even down to the mineral kingdom, uh, are conscious. And I mean, it's very difficult for people to actually get that idea. But she said there's no such thing as dead matter or empty space. The whole cosmos is teeming with life, not necessarily on the physical level, but uh, it has consciousness, as she said, on its own level. So she had been contacted by uh, the Master Moria as early as 1851. She was then a young woman. She'd just been married to a man called Colonel Blavatsky. Um, she left him after a few weeks. Uh, wasn't the most you know, successful marriage in history. And she went on her travels. And one of the first places she went to was London. And in 1851, it was the time of the great exhibition in London mm -hmm. when they had people from all over the world bringing inventions and ideas. And she met Moria at that point. And he was to stay with her in one form or another influencing her and overshadowing her for the rest of her life until she died in 1891. And they started to communicate with her and various other individuals, members of her family, some of the early members of the Theosophical Society in a number of ways. Um, she would appear in her, in they would appear in astral form to her, but they also did um, other means of communication which was, amongst other things, to precipitate hundreds of letters giving advice and talking about different esoteric ideas. Many of these letters are now 
in the British Library in London. And there are people who spend the whole life just studying these things. And they were precipitated on bits of paper which just appeared, sometimes said to have floated down from the ceiling and in other ways. Uh, a lot of people find this very, very difficult to understand. And she was accused at the time of writing these letters herself. But that was largely disproved because uh, these letters continued for nine or ten years after her death in 1891. And there's a book called The Mahatma Letters to a man called um, A.P. Sinnott, who was one of the early members of the Theosophical Society. And they do offer fascinating advice. And wherever they came from, whoever wrote them, whether it was the masters or someone else, they contain absolutely fascinating information. Interestingly, that was the last that was heard of them about 1900. Uh, the letters then stopped. There was some opposition among certain members of this group. Moria and Kuthumi belonged to a much wider group called the Trans-Himalayan Brotherhood, as I mentioned earlier on, which consists of other masters too. Uh, in the 20th century, another of the masters, a man called Dwaj Kul, DK, or otherwise known as the Tibetan, communicated widely with uh, an esoteric writer, a British woman who lived in America, called Alice Bailey. And she channeled, for want of a better word, uh, about 24 books from these, uh, from this particular individual, DK. Uh, many theosophists don't like the idea of Alice Bailey uh, for all sorts of reasons I won't go into. But again, the information contained in them is uh, very, very interesting indeed. And it was this Tibetan who put forward the idea that every century, in the 25th year of every century, there was a meeting of these masters, known as the, uh, the conclave um, of Shambhala. Shambhala is a place somewhere in the Himalayas where the, some of these masters are said to inhabit. And at this conclave, uh, they decide upon the directions that humanity should take over the next hundred years or so. They kind of set a blueprint for it. And at the meeting in 1925, a number of developments happened. Now, the next meeting of this conclave is due to take place in May 2025, at which they will basically decide on various directions that humanity will take over the next century. And one of the things which we understand may be top of the agenda at that particular meeting is the idea that these adepts, these masters, these advanced human beings, may start to reappear more widely on Earth. It's said that they have been away from humanity for a, a long, long period of time, perhaps as long as 12,000 years, which obviously predates the conventional view of human history and human civilization. That's an interesting date as well mm. so that immediately brings to mind the younger dryas and atlantis and the termination of the last ice age mm. well indeed uh, that in fact was when they departed because atlantis according to plato and others 
um, disintegrated over a long period of time. I mean, it was at one time a huge continent and then it fragmented into smaller parts. And eventually there was just a single island called Posidonis, uh, which existed and is said to have disappeared, vanished underneath the waves in a single night. Plato writes about this in his books, The uh, Timaeus and the Criticus. And uh, he got his information from uh, a man called Solon, who had gone to Egypt and had spoken to some of the priests there. Now, 12,000 years ago is a particularly interesting time because, as you say, as you rightly point out, it was the end of the last ice age and there were huge changes to the Earth at that time. It's also interesting from the point of view that uh, one of the big cycles that humanity goes through uh, involves something called the precession of the equinoxes, which is a vast period of time spanning 25,920 years. And if you work it out, 12,000 years ago was approximately halfway through this cycle. So we've now reached a point where we are halfway through that 25,920-year cycle. And so it's felt that some of the events which took place then, the cataclysmic events, um, are starting to repeat themselves now. One of the theories, one of the wide theory, widely held theories, is that Atlantis was destroyed the way that all civilizations ultimately are destroyed because the society at that time divided into two groups of people broadly the forces of light and the forces of darkness. Um, the Atlanteans, the bad ones, the lords of darkness, as they're sometimes called, uh, were experimenting with uh, all sorts of uh, things. They were trying to harness uh, the forces of nature, trying to manipulate matter, trying to take control of the other group of people who sometimes called the Lords of the Shining Face. And this was a conflict which erupted in a major way. And it's often said that the conditions which prevailed then are not so dissimilar from the conditions which prevail today. We've only got to look around the world today to see how people are trying to manipulate technology and misuse it for all sorts of different reasons. So to cut a very long story short, the parallels between what happened then and what happened now are very, very interesting. And this is why at this meeting in 2025, it said that these adepts, um, these masters may again start to appear more widely. We know a little bit about some of them and certainly in the works of Madame Blavatsky and to a greater extent, the works of Alice Bailey. A number of these masters are mentioned. Uh, there's the master Serapis, the master Hilarion, uh, the master Jupiter, the English master, and the master Rakotsi. And many of these individuals are said to have had quite illustrious lines and had been incarnated as various leading figures throughout the course of history. And what they will decide then is how things will work out over the coming century. Now, they're regarded as the forces of light, the forces for good. Um, 
what they want to do is to assist humanity to evolve and for humanity to understand its spiritual underpinnings, that we're not just human beings in physical bodies who happen to have a soul attached to them, but we are essentially spiritual, mainly spiritual beings who um, are currently in human bodies. And they want to understand, they want humanity to understand that there is a plan for humanity. And that plan evolves a, involves a progressive evolution through different development groups of humanity. Theosophy and, and other traditions talk about there being seven principal groups um, of development. Uh, they're called root races, but this can be a slightly misleading term as well. These are development groups of humanity, and we're currently in the fifth of those uh, particular groups. And each of the sub, each of the root races is subdivided into seven sub-races, and we are now in the fifth sub-race of the fifth root race. And so therefore we've reached a point where human development has uh, reached kind of the midpoint of its evolution and uh, will continue through other sub-races until we reach the sixth sub-race and then ultimately the sixth root race. But it's said that this, this fifth development group of humanity has been around for a very, very long time, uh, perhaps as long as a million years, which obviously confounds the archaeologists and historians and the conventional way of looking at things. Well, there was something found recently, was it? I, I was watching, uh, I was looking at archaeology.com or something. And was there something in the UK that was found that they reckon was a million years old, like uh, some sort of tool, a cachet? A cachet of uh, stone flint. Oh, obsidian. Obsidian hand axes. Right. That they reckon are like a million years old. <laughs> but, you know, the, it keeps getting put back, doesn't it? The age of humanity uh, keeps getting put back. I remember, like, maybe when I was at school, it was 100,000 years or 150,000 years. Mm. And it seems just within the last 20 years, we're now talking 300,000 years. That time span has doubled. And, it, you know, it seems to me that it's just going to keep put further back to me yeah well in in the theosophical tradition they talk about humanity or certainly prototype forms of humanity going back almost 19 million years but of course at that time human beings were nothing like they are at the moment they didn't have physical bodies they were just ethereal blobs essentially wow. very large, almost like large balloons. Um, and then over time, um, they gradually solidified into human beings. And uh, during the third root race, which is called the Lemurian, based on a continent that was uh, submerged in the Pacific, human beings eventually developed physical bodies and started to have bones and all the other things that we recognize as being human. But at that time, human beings were said to be gigantic, huge, uh, maybe 20 feet, 12 feet tall. And indeed, um, over the course of the last 100 years, they have found statues of giants in places like Malta. And also in America, back in the 1880s or 1890s, 
uh, archaeologists from the Smithsonian Institute dug up a load of uh, bodies which were about seven and a half feet tall. Uh, they didn't really like this because it didn't fit in with the conventional wisdom, so they just stuck them in the Smithsonian Museum and forgot about them and refused to talk about them. So you're absolutely right. We keep finding artifacts which are hundreds of thousands or millions of years old and which uh, can't, be comp uh, can't be explained through any kind of uh, conventional terms. Is this where some of the uh, folklore regarding giants comes from, do you think? Like the, the giants in the Bible and the uh, Nephilim and, and such. Do you think that's maybe some sort of cultural memory from a time where there were giant humans? I'm sure that's absolutely the case because uh, conventional scientists and historians and archaeologists just say, oh, this is just myth and legend and folklore. But myth and legend and folklore isn't just invented out of nowhere. All myth and all legend in all cultures at all times is based upon something real. Um, and whether we accept that or not is, is really up to us. But people don't invent these things for no reason. They're loosely, or maybe not so loosely, based upon real events. And a lot of cultures around the world, um, I don't know if you, any of you have come across uh, a series uh, on television, it's on in, in the UK, it's on Blaze, it's called Ancient Aliens. And their view is that human beings were actually seeded by visitors from other worlds and that we had our DNA manipulated. Yeah, like and a even Prometheus in, sort of thing. Yes, and, and that sort of thing. It's said that these beings intervened to give human beings... Um, consciousness, because before that we were little better than uh, animals. But I think what we can take from all this is that human history goes back far, far longer than the conventional wisdom would have it at this time. Although they do, I mean, they keep finding axe heads um, stuck in pieces of rock uh, from 30 metres down in the ground, which have been there for an extraordinarily long length of time, and they can't explain these things. They found all sorts of other objects, um, exotic alloys embedded in uh, pieces of uh, stone which they've dug up, and also other very, very interesting artefacts. Uh, the theosophical tradition talks about people from other worlds. One of the groups they talk about is a group called the Lords of the Flame, who came to Earth to try and kickstart human development in terms of consciousness, because before that, um, our minds were very, very undeveloped and probably even less developed than that of some animals today. Yeah. So from a conventional point of view, this stuff is all extremely controversial and um, a lot of people just dismiss it as simple fantasy. Uh, but as you say, archaeological evidence and other evidence keeps emerging, which drives back human history much deeper into the past than, than we ever thought. I mean, when I was at school 50 years ago, they, they taught us that the first civilization existed round about three or 4,000 BC in uh, Samaria, who developed the first writing systems and everything. But we now know that uh, civilization or human existence and the ability to use tools and language and all the other things which make us what 
we are, go back much further than that. Yeah, you can take the uh, the last coal caves, the caves in Spain and France, Altamira Cave as well. That you know there was sophisticated artwork going on thirty, forty thousand years ago, mm-hmm. and they're incredible. You know, it's not like just a random scratching of a caveman. You know, they're they're incredible drawings. They they show a really impressive technique with how they're designed yeah. and and implemented. Well, they do indeed, and. Uh, in this ancient alien series on the television, which I find absolutely fascinating, they base a lot of their ideas on the work of a man called Eric von Denigen, who wrote this book, Chariot of the Gods, back in 1968. And he put forward this theory that human beings had interacted or been affected by people from other worlds who had assisted them in their development, who taught them things like weaving, the cultivation of crops, metal technology, uh, language, uh, writing, and various other techniques, which without that intervention may not have happened or may have taken much longer to occur. But I think with all these things, you have to to be A, open-minded while still questioning these things but not to dismiss these things just because they don't fit in with the conventional wisdom of the times. Because the conventional wisdom at any point in human history often proves to be completely wrong. For example, back in the 15th century when Christopher Columbus was setting off to cross the Atlantic Ocean, at that point, the Catholic Church still insisted that the Earth was flat and that everything in the solar system and the heavens revolved around the Earth. And that was despite the fact that the Babylonians and the Greeks 2,000 years before that were quite aware that the sun was the centre of our solar system and the planets revolved around it, and we lived on an Earth which was round. Nevertheless, the Catholic Church still burnt people at the stake for preaching what they described as heresy. So our knowledge of the world is only ever partial, and we have to be open to new points of view if we're ever going to progress, because otherwise we just go round and round in circles and, and we just feed off our own uh, our own prejudices about these things. Well, the same so goes for uh, reincarnation, doesn't it? Because I remember saying, I don't know, is it last week or the week before, about how reincarnation was only mm-hmm. declared a heresy by the Catholic Church and at the... Uh, Council of Constantinople in the 6th century. You know, up until then, reincarnation was more of a mainstream, you know, viewpoint. Well, if you look at the words of Jesus in the Bible, he makes numerous references to uh, uh, reincarnation. And you're right, it was at that uh, Council of Constantinople, the second Council of Constantinople in 552 AD, where these ideas were declared heretical along with others. Although the rot had set in before that, there was a council of Nicaea in the 4th century where these ideas of reincarnation had slowly been edged out. And I think one of the reasons for that was that um, the church authorities at the time thought, well, if we preach reincarnation, then it reduces the power of the church uh, because the Catholic church really was a reincarnation of the Roman Empire. In, in one sense or another. 
And the church, the Catholic church, has always exerted a great deal of control over people. And it was thought that if people reincarnate again, we don't have as much control over them. I'm sure there were other reasons as well. But wouldn't it be interesting if the Christian church had taught reincarnation? What a different world we would be living in now. What a different mindset people would have. Yeah, because it, it's, uh, it brings the consequences to light, doesn't it? That however you, how you live your life, your current life. Um, I, guess, I guess that links in with karma, the concept of karma as well, doesn't it? That, that how you uh, live out your life in the present moment will affect a future life or a future incarnation? Well, this is one of the principal um, ideas of theosophy, reincarnation and karma, the law of cause and effect, because one without the other is meaningless. Uh, reincarnation then puts it down to the individual that you rise and fall by your own actions and your future lives depend very much upon the lives you've led in the past. If you've led good productive lives and uh, not harmed other people, then you're clearly going to be in a better position um, than if you've waged war against people or acted in um, bad ways towards other people. And so the idea of theosophy is that very much it's about taking personal responsibility. You know, it's not some God in heaven who decides our future. We are the architects of our own destiny. And we, as I say, we rise and fall by our own actions. I think before Madame Blavatsky and the Theosophical Society um, set up shop in 1875, the idea of karma and reincarnation in the West was virtually unknown outside a few narrow academic circles. It wasn't something that was in mainstream thought at all. So although the Theosophical Society has never been uh, a huge body, it's had an enormous impact on world events. And I think karma came into popular consciousness during the, the 1960s when people for the first time started becoming more interested in Eastern religions such as Hinduism and Buddhism, which of course enshrine karma as a central tenet of their belief systems. Uh, I guess we have the, the Beatles to thank for that, don't we? Yeah, Didn't they popular, that, yeah. popularize that? But there was an explosion yeah. of, of sort of uh, younger Westerners going over to places like Goa in India and, and uh, experiencing the culture there and then bringing that back to the West. Well, it was that suddenly there was an, an opening of the doors in the 1960s when all this happened. Quite what underpinned all that, I don't know. But now, Sergeant when Pepper, you, I think. <laughs> well, John Lennon did a song called "Instant Karma," didn't he? As yeah, well, yeah, cool, yeah, mm. yeah. Um, and since then, uh, when when they do surveys of people's attitude now, uh, you find in the West, in America, and in Europe, uh, perhaps after the war, if you'd asked this question, maybe one or two percent of people would said they believe in these things. Now, when they do surveys on it between a quarter and a third of people believe in rebirth of some kind or another. And, of course, that covers a vast spectrum because some people still believe that you can be reincarnated as trees or animals. But in the theosophical tradition, where it's said that once you have reached human status, there's no going back. You don't spend your next life as an oak tree 
right. or anything. Once you reach the human kingdom, for better or worse, you are then on that separate evolutionary stream. It's a very controversial subject. I remember uh, Glenn Hoddle, the former England football manager, getting into trouble. God, it must be 20 years ago when he was mm. talking about karma. And he was interested. Didn't he have someone in the squad? Was she a, was she Eileen, an astrologer? Eileen something, wasn't it? Eileen, yeah. Do, do you remember this story, Tim? I don't remember the story about Eileen. I remember that he was lambasted for saying it because mm. he'd mentioned it, I believe, in the context of people being born with disabilities, which obviously is a controversial idea. Um, and, and I think he was trying to suggest that if you've behaved badly in a, ba a past life, mm -hmm. then it may manifest in this life as a disability or as a disease or something like that. And I don't think the world was quite ready for that. Certainly the footballing world wasn't quite ready for that time anyway. Well, it's, it's a common argument that I've heard. I remember uh, hearing an interview or um, um, a debate with Stephen Fry and he was talking about some sort of uh, parasite that infects children's eyes and, and blinds them and That's whatever. The I don't remember the name of the parasite, but right. I mean, the point is that, that it's, it seems meaningless, you know, that a young child can have this debilitate, uh, debilitating condition and, and uh, sort of what sort of God would mm. uh, create these conditions, you know, a merciful God and whatnot. So it's a common argument that's used by the materialists, I would say. Well, yes, I mean, another key aspect of theosophy is that they don't believe in a personal anthropomorphic God. You know, the, the typical idea that many Christians have is this man with a white beard sitting on a throne on a cloud, you know, dispensing rough justice to people. But the idea of, of karma and reincarnation is that we, we ourselves as human beings, are responsible for our own destiny. And indeed... If more people did believe this as an idea, it would transform the world very, very rapidly because people wouldn't do the things that they do. If people only believe that they have one life on this earth and that there is no comeback and they don't believe um, that anything happens once you die, then there's nothing to stop them from behaving in the most perverse and evil ways. Whereas if you know that everything you do and everything you say and everything you think and everything that you feel sends out vibrations into the world and is going to have consequences at some point in the future, that is going to modify your behavior to a very, very large degree. Whereas if you think, oh, once I've reached my 70 or 80 years and I vanish, that's the end of it, then there's nothing to stop people from behaving uh, in the most terrible way they can imagine. So there is a moral dimension to this as well. Uh, the Christian church, of course, teaches these crude notions about heaven and hell. You know, you're a good person, you go to heaven and you um, wait for some day, some unspecified time when uh, uh, all souls will be liberated. Uh, the Christian church teaches that each soul is created as a one-off disposable thing for one life, whereas uh, the Eastern traditions and theosophy teach that the soul is an evolving entity. And when you explore the ideas around this, um, you find that uh, you probably, once you reach a certain stage of evolution, the time spent in physical bodies on Earth is only a small part of your overall existence. 
because much of your existence will be spent in non-material form in the astral worlds and in what we call the mental worlds or the heaven world. And this is where Christianity and Judaism and to an extent Islam get their ideas of heaven and hell. Uh, they're not absolutely wrong in what they say. They're just very crude and childlike uh, interpretations of what that will be. I mean, there's much debate as to how long people spend in and out of incarnation, and this is a very complex uh, subject for which there are no uh, definitive answers. But it's thought that the more progressed you are, the more spiritually evolved you are, the less time you need to spend in physical bodies. It's often said that this planet, planet Earth, is a learning planet, although some people go much further than that and say it's it's almost like a, a prison planet. You know, we come here <laughs> to suffer as such, but to learn very harsh lessons in physical form, which it's not possible to learn in non-material forms. This is deeply controversial, and a lot of people would just dismiss it as uh, fantasy and as a joke, but it's something that I certainly believe in very, very strongly indeed. And and since the war, since this explosion of interest in karma and reincarnation, they've done a lot of work into, for example, regressing people into past lives. And this, again, is quite controversial. Um, and many scientists and, and psychotherapists and, and hypnotherapists and others have done huge amounts of work on this, and the evidence um, for it is actually quite persuasive. I like the um, the prison planet metaphor. You could, um, I think, you could interpret um, Greek theology, ancient Greek theology, in that way, in, in where, where they describe descending to the underworld, and that's where you become incarnate on this planet. You know that you you're going down to planet Earth, and when you die, you go back up, hopefully, to where you're meant to be. Well, a number of uh, religions and spiritual traditions um, throughout history have, have talked about this. It's only comparatively recently in the last couple of thousand years that people have stopped believing this. We are probably one of the only civilizations uh, in the long course of human history which doesn't believe in rebirth of some kind. It's, and the reason for that is that we live, as you all know, in a highly materialistic society where we only see the material plane. And for many people, the material world, the physical world, is the only world there is. And this is why a lot of people are so frightened of death, because they think, lose the physical body, and that's annihilation. It's oblivion. There is nothing after that. And this is something which I think it's very important for people to start to understand. Madame Blavatsky, 140 years ago, was going on then about the deeply material nature of the world that she lived in. But since her time, we've become even more materialistic. We've become even more materialistic during my lifetime, where we regard ownership of things as being of supreme importance. You know, we define people by what they have rather than what they are. Yeah, I think that might have changed a little over the course of the pandemic. I've I seem to have noticed there's been uh, more people sort of assessing their lives during that that sort of first period where everything shut down and people 
were sort of taken off the rat race, the the mouse wheel, and actually had time to stop and think and assess their lives and take stock. And I think I think there has been an improvement in that area that more people have started looking for meaning. I mean, look at the explosion of, of Jordan Peterson and his popularity, mm. and he's answering a yearning, particularly in young men who are searching for something, and they realise they get to a point in their life, they realise that their life has no meaning, that they're just sort of scratching from point A to point B. And I think I think there are, there is a, a an upside that we've seen in, in recent times. I absolutely agree with you. I think this has been progressively happening for the last 70 or 80 years, but you're right. When you get a crisis like the pandemic, it forces people to reevaluate their whole mindset. And they realize that uh, when you take away all this material stuff, there is still something deep and rich and of great value there. And pe- some people have started to explore that. But what's happening now is that people are, well, certainly in some places, certainly in England, um, people are turning away from conventional religions and exploring alternative forms of um, individual spiritual development, you know, rather than just taking on board the, uh, the dogma of churches or other religions. People are questioning uh, what they've been taught about this. So more people are engaged in an individual quest for truth and an understanding of their own spiritual nature. Uh, And you're right, the pandemic certainly acted as an accelerant for this. But whether now that's over or until another pandemic occurs or is manufactured or whatever happens, uh, people might revert to the factory setting and just go back to the the rat race. You know, I've got to get a better paid job. I've got to have a new three-piece suite and a new car and all this sort of stuff. Uh, And people might forsake those values. But I agree. I think more people are becoming interested in their real inner identity. But to understand what that identity is, you have to accept the fact that we are not just physical beings and that there are other realms of reality, um, other, other states of consciousness, other states of being, which don't necessarily involve taking physical form. And a lot of people find this very difficult. Do you think advancements in science, things like uh, particle physics, quantum theory, that these avenues could actually produce some evidence or some proofs for sort of uh, extra dimensions or uh, different planes of being? I always think about the dark matter, dark energy thing. You know, we can only account for something like 7% of all matter and energy in the universe. All the rest of it is dark matter, dark energy. Do you think there's any uh, chances in that in that regard? I do, very much so. I mean, when Max Planck and others first came up with the notions of quantum mechanics, quantum physics, um, round about the year 1900, conventional science at that time couldn't accept these things at all. And indeed, many, uh, many scientists today still find it uh, almost anathema to think about these things. Because the laws which operate in, in the subatomic world seem to be very different from the laws which we understand are developed by people like um, Isaac Newton, the laws of motion, and the other physical laws which were established in the 18th and 19th centuries. 
the way the big world, the macrocosm works, seems to operate in a very, very different way from the way that the subatomic world um, operates. And indeed, quantum physics basically says that matter, as the Hindus and other Eastern traditions say, is purely illusion, and that it's all down to uh, potentiality. Uh, it's all down to other things. And, and certainly uh, things like string theory, M theory, and other things have postulated um, the possibility of universes enfolded within other universes or multiple universes or multiple dimensions. And so, yes, science from that point of view um, has made great strides. But of course, most people don't understand quantum physics least of all the quantum <laughs> physicists yeah well it's a famous famous quote who's the famous physicist the american guy uh Feynman, Feynman. Feynman. was it Feynman who said if you think you understand quantum physics you don't understand quantum physics mm-hmm. i think yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. um tim going back to the uh the meeting the big get together in 2025 i mean how do how do we get in yeah i've I, not I want... got my invite yet i thought i was one yeah. of the ascended ones as well i want to get some autographs <laughs> Well, I think that uh, this particular uh, club, if we might call it that, is a very, very exclusive one. Probably more even more exclusive even that uh, than that of the uh, the billionaires and uh, Davos. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Outrageous. I mean it's not exactly like a kind of an ethereal Davos. It's it's something rather <laughs> more than that. It's uh, um, something which. Um, really does set the agenda. And one of the other things that they um, talk about happening here is that there will be um, an upsurge in the way that people understand themselves and um, understand uh, their own identity and that there is some overall divine blueprint for humanity. But of course, people say, well, Look, if these masters of light, if these uh, members of the Brotherhood of Light, the Trans-Himalayan Brotherhood, um, are so powerful, why don't they directly confront the many dark forces which exist in the world today? And these dark forces have, as I mentioned earlier, have been operating for thousands of years. And these things operate on the inner planes and then occasionally erupt into conflicts on the, um, the outer plane you know, the two world wars that we had in the last century. In fact, since probably 1914, there has not been a single day on this earth when some war or other hasn't been fought. And so this is just uh, a recapitulation, a reprise of those inner conflicts. But the idea is that these masters, uh, members of this brotherhood, cannot directly intervene in human affairs. And that's why they decided to withdraw all those many thousand years ago. Why can't they intervene directly? Why can't they sort out all the nasty things that are going on on Earth? And there's a very simple reason for that. And it comes back to this law of karma. If these masters were suddenly to come in uh, riding a great white charger or like the US cavalry does in cowboy films, and try to sort out all humanity's problems for it, that would infringe the law of karma Mm. because humanity has to learn to solve its own conflicts. It has to overcome its own problems. It has to go through these trials and tribulations in order to grow. 
and we come back to this idea again of this being a, a prison or a penitentiary planet or a school of learning. We have, you know, it's a school of hard knocks, and we have to go through these lessons, which we can only learn in physical bodies before we can uh, progress further. So we can't have anybody do it for us. There is no quick fix or magic bullet to these things. We can only do it through our own efforts and to some extent through our own suffering, which is not uh, a message many people want to hear. A lot of people want to think they can go to some weekend seminar and come out enlightened, you know, and it doesn't work that way. Uh, we work on things on ourselves and we work on them over many lifetimes. It's my firm view that each of us comes into existence with a particular purpose in life. You could call it a soul purpose. It might not just be one thing, it might be a number of things. This might, be involved, this might involve a skill we have to learn. It might be overcoming um, some shortcoming in our own characters or our own makeup. But we come in with definite purposes in life. And the truth is that many people go through life and they never know what that purpose is. A lot of people reach a point sometimes perhaps midway through their lives in their 30s and 40s when, as you alluded to earlier on, they become deeply dissatisfied with their lives. It's sometimes called divine discontent. And they start asking these big questions. Who am I? Where did I come from? What's the purpose of existence? Why am I here? Where am I going? What's the meaning of it all? And that's when they start to um, take on various forms of spiritual uh, pursuit, maybe join different groups, start reading, start studying. And they become interested in these wider questions. And so this is quite interesting because you find certainly in the Theosophical Society, many of its members don't really join it. I never didn't join the Theosophical Society until I was in my 50s. Uh, because many people before that are so tied up with bringing up families or pursuing careers or paying off a mortgage and all the other things that we have to do, that there is no bandwidth left in order to ask these big questions. You know, if, if you're worried that the building society is going to chuck you out of your house, you know, you're hardly going to sit down and start thinking, oh, you know, these big cosmic questions, are you? You know, you're more immediately concerned with having a roof over your head. Yeah. It's kind of a, a luxury in that respect, isn't it? Being able to ask these bigger questions. It's, it comes back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. You know, you need shelter, you need food, you need water, you need heat. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, then you can join the Theosophical Society. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have to fulfil our, our immediate um, needs, yeah. particularly in the modern world, which is very harsh and it's very competitive and it's becoming more competitive. And it becomes very, very difficult for people. But as you said yourself earlier on, um, when you get these crises, um, it somehow prompts people to start asking these questions. You notice in times of war, people start going to church again in much greater numbers. They start to, um, they start to think in different ways. Um, and it's not clear why that is, but they do. And, and the evidence is quite clear for that. Yeah, there's the old quote, there's no atheists in a foxhole. You know, that when it's brought into sharp relief like that, people grasp for something, you know, mm -hmm. some sort of spiritual meaning.
Um, we've we've only got a few, not got long left, Tim. We haven't talked about the mystery schools because this is something I'm particularly interested in. Okay, well, uh, well, you know, this again is something which is fascinating. Yeah. Uh, mystery schools existed in most cultures. Uh, they certainly existed most famously in places like uh, Greece and Egypt, but they also existed here in Britain and in other cultures as well. It's said that the mystery schools as we understood them, which were places of initiation, uh, in Greece they had the lesser mysteries for the people who were not so advanced, and then they could progress on to the greater mysteries. And basically the idea was to teach them uh, ideas that they were... Uh, eternal beings, that they reincarnated, that they were on this endless spiritual adventure and that death didn't spell oblivion. And this was their whole purpose, and they constructed various elaborate mis um, rituals in order to express this. It's said that the last of the mystery schools closed around about the 5th century, but whether they fully closed or not, I don't know. Certainly writers like Alice Bailey and others say that there will be... Um, a resurgence of the mystery schools, possibly in some of their old locations. Wow. But this time, rather than being just about personal development, they will have a more planetary feel to them. And it will be about planetary consciousness rather than about individual consciousness. And the mystery schools, as they reappear over the next decades and centuries, may well form the backbone of some new kind of world religion, um, which will supersede the religions we have at the moment. And they will basically teach people that they are cosmic beings. They are spiritual cosmic beings on this endless journey of evolution. I don't expect this to happen anytime soon. But these ideas have never fully gone underground. They've always been enshrined in some tradition or another uh, Rosicrucianism, the Masons, Knights Templar, and numerous other groups as well. So these ideas never f fully disappear. They're always there in latent form, and occasionally they get revived. And I think we're on the cusp of some sort of revival of this. Well, I think even in the, the 20th century, I'm thinking about uh, Rudolf Steiner, the Steiner School System, and um, the other guy whose name escapes me, he was... Uh student of Gurdjieff, and he wrote The Fourth Way. Uspensky. Uspensky. He was, he was, was he setting up a similar sort of thing, a mystery school with The Fourth Way? Well, many people now, um, there's still a great deal of interest in, in Gurdjieff and his work, and also Uspensky. Of course, Uspensky and Gurdjieff fell out eventually, but certainly he put the prototype there. And as you say, Rudolf Steiner did a lot as well he, in terms of education. Steiner, of course, was a member of the Theosophical Society, but like many people who uh, started with them, he departed and did his own thing and set up his own Anthroposophical Society, which also still exists. Yeah. So, I mean, what would a modern mystery school look like, do you think, Tim? Well, it's very hard to say because... Um, it certainly wouldn't be something that, um, you know, you would you would advertise on the Internet. I mean, it would be probably more of uh, perhaps a Masonic tradition where people were drawn in um, by certain individuals. It certainly wouldn't be, in the first instance, any kind of mass movement. And it would probably happen, I imagine, initially on 
an ad hoc basis. It's probably happening right now. There are thousands of groups around the world which have formed over the last few decades, which in different ways and with different traditions try to uh, put forward these basic ideas about human beings' spiritual nature. Uh, some do it through ritual, some do it through study, some do it through ceremony, uh, people do it in various different ways. So it's very difficult to say precisely what they would look like because I guess they would be geared to different cultures. You know, a mystery school in Thailand would be nothing like a mystery school in Brazil, for example. Uh, you know, it would have to be based upon the overall uh, collective mindset of the people of, of that particular country. It would have to be geared towards the customs and the traditions and the mindset of that country. So it wouldn't be a one-size-fits-all. Um, you know, it wouldn't, wouldn't be something that's done from a pro-former invoice. It would develop much more organically. But I think they would all ultimately have um, the same agenda mm. to teach human beings who they really are. Because the big problem with the world at the moment is that it's suffering from an identity crisis. Human beings don't know who they are. Mm. They don't realize that they have vastly more potential than... Uh, they are led to believe and, and that their potential is limitless. Yeah, I think um, when you talk about the sort of exclusive nature of mystery schools, I think that can put people off in some regards. They, they feel that it's maybe gatekeeping in some way or that there's some sort of filtering process that, you know, well, they used to call it blackballing, didn't they? I think in Freemasonry and it goes back to ancient Greece or whatever, but... You know, um, and people don't like the idea of secret groups, groups meeting in secret and only discussing things between themselves and, and this sort of thing. Do you not see a, a danger in that regard, that if the mystery schools aren't sort of open and transparent, that they become well, a, a bit of see, a target? Yes, I do see that because there is this um, dislike of elitism in the modern world. But nevertheless, traditions like masonry have their degrees, don't they? Yeah. Um, 33 degrees in some Masonic systems. And you have to also remember that people are at very different stages of development. Some people are much more advanced than others. And so, you know, you might regard, you know, you wouldn't take someone who just started primary school at the age of five years old and put them in for a PhD. You know, they have to go through a certain number of steps beforehand. They have to go through a learning process. And how that occurs... I don't know. But clearly, you know, you can't... I mean, Jesus said in the Bible uh, something along these lines, uh, which, which I'll crudely paraphrase, and that is, you know, you can't give steak and red wine to a three-year-old child. Uh, they have to go through um, other diets before they can get onto the main diet. And because people are at very different stages in, in their developments, I guess you're going to have to have lots of different versions of this. In the days of old, uh, these secrets of the mystery schools were very jealously guarded. And people who um, gave away their secrets or strayed into their hallowed portals were often killed because they didn't want these secrets being transmitted to the profane, as they referred to them at that time. Whether that would still persist in the modern world, I have no idea. But clearly, you would have to have different points of entry for different people. Just not everybody is ready for these things. People, you know, as I say, are at very different stages of development. 
Yeah, well, to quote JC again, don't don't cast pills before swine. He famously said, didn't he? And yeah, uh, people yeah. are just not ready for these things necessarily, and it, it sometimes may be that they have to go through um, several lifetimes before they're ready to embark upon uh, a particular line of study and service and inquiry. Uh, it's not, you know, it's not for everybody at the same time. Do you not fancy starting your own, Tim? Start your own mystery school? Well, I think um, uh, I'm a mystery to myself and I don't think <laughs> I would necessarily be uh, the right person uh, to do this. But uh, uh, I think that probably uh, there are people who um, are interested in transmitting these ideas in different ways and I'm involved with a number of groups of people. And, there's, you know, you, when you go to any group, you find people who have been studying things sometimes for 40 years and they know very, very little. And you get other people who are newcomers who've just been studying this stuff for maybe a few months or a couple of years and they know more than the people who've been studying it for a whole lifetime. And this may be because people in previous lives have embarked upon these ideas and tried to study them and therefore what they come to in this life is a process of recollection. Plato said that all knowledge is but remembering. <laughs> so we just all things which we learned in the past in some way. So um, I think the answer to your question, will I start my own mystery school? Probably not in this lifetime. <laughs> and maybe <for> the next. <laughs> Excellent. Well, on that note, Tim, mm -hmm. I think maybe we should sign off. We're just taking over an hour now. It's yeah. been wonderful. Um, well, thank you very much for asking me. It's been very good to talk to you. Oh, and I'm sorry I'm not shaking anymore. <laughs> yeah. uh, where's the best place for uh, people to get all of your books and stuff, Tim? Um, if you go onto firewheelbooks.co.uk, you can find my two main books, one of which is called Everyone's Book of the Dead, which explores all aspects of reincarnation and death. My other book called Cycles of Eternity, which really explains some of the key theosophical ideas which uh, I've been discussing uh, tonight. And you can also uh, find my work um, on Theosophy Forward magazine and in Hermes Risen magazine, as well as many other online and printed publications. But it's firewheelbooks.co.uk. Excellent. I'll put a link in the show notes if uh, anyone wants to follow up. And uh, yeah, I was I was reading a little bit about the uh, the Book of the Dead, everybody's Book of the Dead, and uh, yeah, that, I found that quite appealing. I think I'm gonna have to pick that one up. Yeah. Well, I Can't thought see. that you know the Tibetans have got their own Book of the Dead, and so have the Egyptians. Egyptians. So <laughs> why shouldn't the rest of us? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right, Tim. Thanks very much. Uh, stay on the line for Thank us. You, Just stay on the line for one minute while we play ourselves out. And uh, for those of you watching in YouTube land, we'll be back in 10, 15 minutes for part two. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, yeah. Tim. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Good night. Bye. Right, then we're back. The dwarf, the cripple, and the mother of madness. So I chat with Tim Wyatt from... Uh, the Theosophical Society and Firewheel Books. Link in the show notes if you want to uh, check out Tim's books. Mm. Tim was a good talker, wasn't he? Excellent, he yeah. Was good, yeah. A seasoned pro at uh, I think so. pre presenting his, his research and his information. Yes, I could have listened to him 
It, we have to come back and uh, talk about the ancient mystery schools. Yeah, a bit more in detail. Mm. Yeah, I wanted to ask him about the Mithras, the cult of Mithras. Which, what are the tuition fees? Which, which uh, emanated in ancient Rome. Right. Sol Invictus and all that. Sol Invictus, oh, like wait in a minute. Raised by Wolves. <laughs> Absolutely, ben. the finest TV show yeah. of this century. That's been cancelled. Yep. Flying, flying robot snakes. Half robot, half oh, alive snakes, yeah. aren't they? Yeah, and people turn into trees and stuff. Turn into a tree, and then somebody ate the the fruit of the, the fruit. Her, her her husband ate the fruit of the tree. That's right. And he then was crucified upside down, <laughs> but, but, but levitating. So, oh my God, there's so much to, <laughs> to tie off and <laughs> unpack. Yeah, unpacking that. We need another series. Crazy. <laughs> it's just fucking TV, man. It's oh. garbage. It's nonsense. Oh, it's, no, it's no. no it's way better. So nonsense. much meaning in that. Yeah, there is. You could build a religion around yeah, raised you by could. wolves. Well, the, yeah, it, is, it itself is built around a religion. It was a religion. It yeah. was a cult. The cult of Mithras. I'm just nearly finished. Dave's Matheson's book, Last Guest, yeah. and he's got a full chapter, like sixty odd pages, on Mithras, the cult of Mithras. Right. The well, according to Dave, the first secret society. Has it got no. androids? Sorry? Has it, has it got androids? <laughs> Sorry, I don't follow you. No androids? We're all raised by wolves. I don't watch it. Oh, I have no idea what you're no. talking about. I don't watch TV. It, what he's doing is he's poo-pooing raised by wolves, isn't he? He is. Who is I Hard. am? Poo-pooing. Poo-poo. It's just oh. a made-up TV show, man. Fuck's oh, sake. You can nuggets. actually read about the what actually happened, what it was based on. Rather yeah, than, like, and the some... androids took the children ch- children eggs into space. Yes. And landed no, on the planet. No, he's having a hissy fit now. <laughs> no, I'm fine. <laughs> With the big holes. I'm still reeling. No from... one knows what made the holes, Phil. They're just there. They're massive. Oh, yeah, the holes that go to the other side of the planet, don't it's, they? And it's just been left unexplained. Yeah. And... Oh, no, because we assumed it was the... Well, I assumed it was the giant snakes that are extinct... Right, because there were bones, weren't there? Yes. But then there's like a there was like a vibration coming from from the earth, a yeah. signal that some people were tuned into. Oh, yeah. so when are you going to find out? We're not ever going to find out. That's a mystery. We can build a school to try yeah. and understand it. We're going to do some mushrooms and and sketch <laughs> out the remaining three seasons. Yeah, a storyboard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm still reeling uh, because someone in our element server who will rename, remain nameless mm. this week compared me to Jeremy fucking Clarkson. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't see that. Yeah. No. Pretty accurate, though. You didn't see that? No. Why am I on this page? tractor. Yeah, you're uh, the hamster. Right. And he's James May. Okay, that's fine. The foppish one. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine. You happy with that? Yeah, fine. Yeah. I really don't like Jamie Clarkson. Which of the biker mice from Mars are we <laughs> individually? <laughs> Which wheel warriors are we? Yeah. What the famous trios are they? The Holy Trinity. Musketeers. <laughs> <laughs> Porthos, Athos, and Aramis. And Dog Tanyon. Mm. I'm definitely not Porthos. I'm the lightest I've been for years now. 13-3. He's Porthos then, yeah. isn't he? <laughs> Porkos. <laughs> <laughs> <And> it's Porkville. <laughs> His Bacon Nuts t-shirt. That's coming, man. 
fizzy, fizzy pork-based energy drinks. <laughs> Prime eat your heart out. Mmm, fizzy mm. pork. Oh, Matt, in the chat, great newsletter, by the way. Thanks. Oh. Got some good feedback on the on the first edition of the Rum Springer. Rum Springer. Yeah, it gets, there'll be a link in the show notes if you want to sign up to the newsletter. We did uh, some guest previews, Some uh, did a book review, did uh, a meme... What else was it? Oh, discount code from the merch store as well. I was well. going to say, with oh. the tokens, you can save up for a holiday. No air miles. No. <sighs> no. So. Good. All right, Very do you want to move on? Do you want to move on and do some headlines or what? Mm. Yeah, let's do that. I don't know where the thing is. Is it there? No. <laughs> See you. <laughs> a, a bit of a variation on headlines of the week this week. Are you familiar with the missing words round? Yes. A big news story. Headlines of the week. You can uh, play along at home if you want. Yes. Here's the first one. Dump it. Refuse firm called blank ordered to dump its name by Lord of the Rings lawyers. Wow. Sauron. (laughs) Sauron? Yeah. Oh, my God. You can do better than that one. Frodo bin bags. <laughs> yeah. Um, no? Gandalf the grey bag. Or <laughs> bag. Yeah. Um, what was Frodo's mate called? Oh Samwise. Samwise. Binwise. Binwise Baggins. <laughs> Bilbo Baggins. Baggins. Bilbo yeah. Bin Baggins. Yeah. <laughs> Bilbo Bin Baggins? Yeah. Oh, no, it's actually... Bilbo Banner. Refuse. Ooh. Lord of the Bins. Refuse firm called Lord of the Bins ordered to dump its name by Lord of the Rings lawyers. I don't know if you saw this story. Oh, precious, lawyers. precious lawyers have ordered a refuse firm called Lord of the Bins to ring the changes and dump its name. Uh, they accuse they the two-man... Waste collection operation of trading on the reputation of the global Lord of the Rings franchise. Stop, <laughs> <laughs> did it? Nick Lockwood and Dan Walker have been told to immediately alter their business name, website, and slogan. You know what the slogan is? <laughs> One ring to remove it all. <laughs> nice. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Actually, I've got a picture, actually. Here are the, here are the guys. Could have washed the fucking van, couldn't they, if they knew they were going in the sun? Oh, God. It looks like it's or the, Photoshop. Or his pants. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of refuse is that? What comes in a cardboard box that's three metres long by uh, eight inches? Like extra length for those trousers. Giant banana cleaner. A wizard's staff. <gasps> oh, yes. It could be. Yeah. i got another picture. Oh. Got a point. Got a point at the logo. I right. mean... I mean, if you kind of shaved his head, are we saying that's Gollum? <laughs> Which one? The one take, take a pick. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Obviously. Uh, where's the rest of the story? Oh, my screen's rotated. Printer's playing up, so I'm using a screen. It's, it's hampering me. Uh, the, the warning was issued by lawyers acting for Middle Earth Enterprises, which owns the worldwide stage film and merchandising rights to The Hobbit and The Lords of the Ring. It's worth billions of pounds. Mm. Brighton-based Lord of the Bins collects household, building, and office waste in the city and east and west Sussex. 
And dumps it all over the countryside. <laughs> Fly tips it immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Nick 36 told the son, if we don't turn up on time, no one's going to chuck their Lord of the Rings DVD in the bin. Oh, we've not had Mick for a while. Mm. And if they bring out a box office smash, I don't think more people are going to ring up for waste collection. It's just bully boy tactics. <laughs> <laughs> bully boy TikToks. Uh, the legal letter states, you have made use of names and slogans highly similar, similar <laughs> to the Lord of the Rings. Your activity amounts to an infringement of our client's trademark rights. Uh, the legal firm also says it reserves the right to seek damages mm. over the unlawful activity. Mm. Dan 36 said, we can't afford to fight them. We're just trying to make people small, make a living. Wow. Yeah, shame in it. Mm. Seems excessive to me. No, the C is always right. Mm. Yes, I think it is, especially when you know the TV show's been so awful. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you can take all the they want all the publicity. That's just get, hard really, to say, it? isn't it? Yeah, you know, I bet if Lord of the Bins does a a good job, then you probably just take that extra bit of advertising, wouldn't you? You change it to the Bins of Power. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a cheeky move, wouldn't it? It would. <laughs> Next. I'm an ex-banker, blank. Now my son won't talk to me. Um, that's, a, that's a tricky one. Yeah, it is. I'm an ex-banker plus a wanker. I don't think you're going to get it. No. I'm an ex-banker, genderless dragon. Wow. <laughs> Shit, I was going to say that. <laughs> now my son won't talk to me. Why are we peeking here? Genderless oh. Dragon. Yeah, a former banker who covered their body in tattoos and their body. A former banker who covered their body in tattoos and piercings in a bid to become the world's first genderless dragon is is speaking out about the dramatic body transformation. Uh, Tiamat, Tiamat Legion Medusa, 61, ah. who hails from Texas, has spent the past decade undergoing an epic metamorphosis to, into the mythical monster. Now his kid won't, won't speak to him. Wow. I wonder why. Ooh, oh, mate. Ouch. So he's 61, he started when he was 51. So you're saying there's still time for us? Really? To become genderless dragons? There he oh is before, beforehand. Kind of uh, looks like a bit like Voldemort to me. He who shall not be named. That's... Um, I mean, wow. Wow, man. I know. Yeah. In an interview with YouTuber Anthony Padilla, Medusa, who was born Richard Hernandez and now uses the they-them pronouns, explained they were working as a high-flying financier before deciding they could no longer partake in corporate conformity. I was in my late 40s prior to me living my life as the freak that I am, I already had 79 piercings and most of them were hidden, explained Medusa, who goes by Dragon Lady Medusa online. Uh, the ones uh, that... Hmm? That's not genderless. they were genderless. Yeah. Sorry? goes by Dragon Lady Medusa. Well, you can be called a lady no, and you're assuming yeah. the oh, gender God. then. 
He stepped on some a social constructivist landmine. <laughs> Every fucking time. <laughs> Just blows is, there, up. is Anthony that Anthony guy? Is that the alien guy that I sent a photo of? I think it's the same guy. Maybe he has a podcast about you know differently looking people. What photo did you send? Where? <clears throat> Death suggestions. Oh, on the thing. But it's a guy who's who's um, full of tattoos and he's turning himself into an alien. He's had his oh. nose cut off and stuff. I mean, there's something not right. Is there in the head when they're doing stuff like that? Man? <laughs> Correct. No, it's crazy. It's nuts. Going to that extreme it's body modification. Yeah. Yes. It's abnormal. I would right? say so. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Sleepy Town revealed to have the most what? Beds. Yes. Per capita. <laughs> uh, Sleepy Town uh, to have the most... Ketamine. <laughs> Sleepy Town revealed to have the most insomniacs in the UK. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, that would be ironic. Oh, the irony. Mm. No, Sleepy Town oh. revealed Sleepy Town revealed to have the most Satanists in the UK. Can you believe it? Can you Adam and Eve it? I think I actually have this one written down. Yes! Bungay in Suffolk. Fake name, fake place. Has at least 70 devil worshippers living there, figures suggest. More than 100 times the national average. How can there be 70 people and then 100... But- can that work? Point, point 0.7 <laughs> is the national average, is right. it? Okay. Per town or per capita? Per... What? <laughs> yes, so everyone is 70% <laughs> Satanist. Yeah. Well, with the population of just 8,500, it means almost 1% of residents officially registered themselves as loving Lucifer in the 2021 status. Status. Census status. It makes <laughs> it makes Bungay the unlikely Satanist capital of England and Wales. Bun B U N or yes. B U M. Bungay, <laughs> not Bungay. Right, okay. That would have made, made more. less sense <laughs> or more. I don't want to say. No, but not. Limp Dick City. <laughs> One resident said, Everyone knows there's some funny locals. It's always the quiet places you've gotta watch. Mm. Still. Somewhere famous for books and cheese is about the last place you would expect to be full of Satanists. Uh, Judy Cloak, a conservative county and district councillor representing Bungay, insisted, Bungay is most definitely not the devil-worshipping capital of the UK. Bungay Town Council clerk uh, Rosalind Barnett said, Devil worship has never crossed our radar and has never been discussed. We don't know anything about it, she said. Mm. As she sacrificed a chicken. <laughs> Isn't that a goat? Oh, yeah, sure. Why not? Maybe goats at the weekend. Yeah. Goats are expensive, man. Yeah, probably harder to come by in the UK as well, goats, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, you can choke a chicken several times a week without breaking the bank. <laughs> <laughs> I would say. Suggest. <laughs> <laughs> Your hands would tell a different story. <laughs> Sorry, I use O'Keefe's. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I use O'Keefe's. 
Hand cream. A nice balm. I got it from Tool Station. It's magic stuff. Mm-hmm. I was using some hemp stuff that the missus had, mm-hmm. which she gets from like some body shop party, and it's 40 pound a bloody tube or something daft. It's not, but you know, it's dear. Right, okay. And I found this stuff called O'Keefe's at Tool Station, and it's uh, it's miraculous. What And in what way is it miraculous? Moisturizer. Yeah, no, it's a moisturizer. When you, when you have a real job, your hands get <laughs> dry and sore. Sometimes when um, <laughs> I'm typing on my keyboard, <laughs> my hands get really it's cold. It's not a battle we should win. <laughs> they get really cold, and um, I, yeah. thought, I thought about uh, buying some uh, fingerless gloves. <laughs> really? Yeah. You know, you can get gloves that have like the things on the end that you can use operate Rips, smartphones yeah. with. And stuff. Yeah, you could use them. We could wrap tinfoil around. Yeah, but I don't need the tips of your fingers. <laughs> yeah, that would look weird. <laughs> Just wrap it's my hand in tinfoil. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't you once have a go at your missus for wasting tinfoil? No, she shouted at me <laughs> because I took a picture of myself with a tinfoil hat on, <laughs> and I got shouted at for wasting tinfoil. Yeah. And who's laughing now because she's been abducted by aliens? <laughs> wow, when did that happen? I don't know. She won't tell me. Um, did the anal, anal probe? That's what she told me. <laughs> did she bolt up in bed and shout fuck? Uh, it was on a night out, apparently, yeah. Oh, right. Mm. And uh, how's the, what's the memory situation? She can't remember anything. Typical for a night out, really. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Confirmation from Matt Apocalypse. O'Keefe's lip balm is the best. See? You know? Matt Apocalypse needs that lip balm when he's sat the computer too. Or does he engineer stuff? I think he might engineer stuff. Do you think he, does he do that in a warehouse, in a hangar somewhere? <gasps> oh, yeah. Some some very secretive hangar with a Chinese spy balloon floating across <laughs> above. <laughs> yeah, it's not a spy balloon. That's a proto-human soul they shot it down today apparently yeah where is the spider the yanks oh, it's right. in the sea now. <laughs> uh, the chinese are very unhappy that they shot it's down the spy balloon yes because it's just a weather balloon that got blown off course right okay yeah you know what are you doing joe <laughs> i can't make in the counter's polluter bar are you talking about the polluters yeah Call polluters accountable with the most ambitious environmental justice agenda ever. Hairy legs. Yeah. Have we done all the headlines? Yeah, I think we have. I think we did three. Right, okay, let's do some housekeeping. 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 It's a value for value podcast. Find this podcast valuable. Podcast. <laughs> Please consider some uh... returning some value. Yeah. There's a myriad of ways of doing this. My favourite, as ever, is word of mouth. Spread the word. Spread some links and uh, help us attract more people. Yes. To the podcast. Anything, Matt? How do you become producer? Stop reading my notes. <laughs> I just concentrate on what you're doing. I was just wondering what was coming up next. Ne pa ecrie. Mind them, peace. I'm gonna. We need some donations because I need to get pop guards for these mics. Pop, 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 pop. People 
we're popping peas left, right, and center. We're peaking. Um, no, no, the peas are popping. We I are peaking as well, but only on the YouTube. Blessed of both worlds. Um, I like it when people join us on the Element server mm. and say hello. Um, even Ben is there these days. Hi. James May of the trio. Yeah, he seems to be like more interactive than me these days. That's wild, isn't it? He's just in there, popping off memes left, right, and center, <laughs> integrating <laughs> servers and chat. That's it. Generally saving Plotland. Yeah. Save Plotland. Someone's got it. Um, leave us a review um, so we can read it out. We don't get enough reviews, do we? No, I've not checked for a while. We might have had some, but I've not checked. No, I mean, and you have to then, if you do leave us a review, um, why don't you then tell us about it? Because uh, sometimes we can't find them. Yeah, you can yeah. give us a five-star rating if you listen on Spotify. Yeah. Or if you watch, if you watch the videos. Smash the like button. Yep. Hit the Hit bell. Subscribe. Drop an emoji in the comments, all that shit. Mm. All helps for the Algor. It's great rhythm. for the Algo. Algorithm. Well, are we up to a thousand yet? No. Sub subscribers. Subscribers. No, no, it's... It's dropped down to a crawl. Oh, dear. But uh, it doesn't help we're only doing th with dropping a video every month. Oh, of course, yeah. Probably. Yeah, for the bomb. But, you know, it's not, the, it's not the fucking purpose, is it? No. It's just a, a milestone. It doesn't really mean anything. Good. You can buy merch with our faces on. No, you can't. But it's got the uh, podcast uh, ephemera <laughs> splattered all over it. Um, the old Amish loot chest. In the mm. Amish loot chest, yeah. I would uh, pull up a picture if I could find Let's one. Let's have a look. Oh, there's a Bacon Nuts t-shirt. <coughs> mm. uh, the prices have been updated as well on the uh, loot chest. Not on this picture. This is the old picture. It's the old one. But, um, yeah, the prices have been updated. And, again, if you sign up to the Rumspringer newsletter, you'll get a discount code for the month, and you get 10% off. Wow. That's very generous. I mean, like 10% off a £50 hoodie. They're not 50 quid. Is uh, that's a big saving? It is. It's ten percent. I would say. Yeah. It's good. Um, so yeah, links will be in the show notes. And uh, yeah, come and uh, buy some shit. Send us some artwork. Mm. We like to have listener uh, submitted artwork for the episodes. If you uh, sign up to the newsletter or uh, join the Element server, you'll get a sneak preview of who's coming on. And then you can uh, some fabricate some artwork. Mm. And uh, we will use it as the podcast artwork for that episode. And uh, I just knocked this one up based on the YouTube thumbnail. There we are. There's Tim with his mates. Mm. The old Ascended Masters there. Oh, uh, yeah. That's JC. Uh, That's uh, the Magdalene. I think Mary Magdalene might be one of the Ascended Masters. Right. Oh, I meant to ask him about um, the Count of Saint-Germain. Is that uh, Rasputin? <laughs> I don't know if he's the guy. The Count of Saint Germain is an ascended <clears throat> master, according to the Theosophists. He's a very interesting character. Uh, Voltaire, who was a contemporary of him, mm. said, quoted as saying that he is a man who cannot die and knows everything, <laughs> according to Voltaire. And uh, yeah, they say he lived for 500 years. Get so out who of knows? Town. Yep. Mm. I forgot to ask, but you know, old. Yes, you're correct, Matt. We've got Keith Hunter on next week. Mm. We'll be talking about uh, sacred geometry, um, uh, worldwide units of measurement. I thought you were going to say worldwide Unix then. 
Maybe some more. Talk about that. Of measurement. <laughs> the dwarf, the cripple, and the mother of madness. Oh no, sorry. Limp Dick <laughs> City. <laughs> the old Unox. Mm, lovely. Um, you can. Well, did you say where you can put your art? work suggestions in the element channel oh you can put it in the element channel you can email it to us mm-hmm. at the armist inquisition at gmail.com yep um guest suggestions jingle requests any corrections mm. if you're irate about something we've said let us know because you know it might be a laugh <laughs> <laughs> We can tell you to fuck our inner asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta find it now. Come on, where are you? Where are you? Fuck my inner asshole. (laughs) That's Graham. Yeah. Wagwan fam, you're going to Somerset. (laughs) We might be a little bit more open for criticism. Um, Because we have to be. Yeah, no promises. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Focus chi requests. If your chi is depleted, if you have something big coming up, over the next week, you know, like an exam, a driving theory test. Um, you have a minor ailment, maybe like a sprained ankle, uh, seasonal flu, yeah. those kinds of things. You might be feeling a bit down because you had a massive breakfast. Yeah, if you feel a bit bloated. About, you know, sometimes when you have some bacon and sausage and some white bread, and you just feel yeah. a bit... What, completely satisfied <laughs> and amazing. Do you not I feel could do bit, it all over again. Oh, you, uh. could, you could just live off salt and fat. And <laughs> oh, it's the best, man. Machine. It's the best. Red meat is just... And eggs. What more could you want? <laughs> um, some fibre. Eggs, <laughs> to be fair. I don't think I've been to the butty shop this year. I thought you were going to say, I haven't, been to, I haven't been to the toilet too. <laughs> <laughs> Just a oh, massive dear. protein turd. It's <laughs> more bolus than man. <laughs> oh, maybe I'll go tomorrow for a treat. <laughs> for a <laughs> no, bacon, sausage, and egg bat on. Right, oh. okay. On white bread. Bit of brown sauce, love. Just a bit. Maybe I'll have black pudding as well. There's a, there's a sandwich shop near to where I live, and they don't ring any of the food through the till. All right. It's all just cash. Well, you know, we went to the pub last night, me and Ben, for a birthday, surprise birthday party. And uh, the pub in question had notices up saying, um, Oh, yeah. Card payment preferred. Wow. And every time I ordered the drink, they handed me the Mm. card payment machine. Get that out of my face. (laughs) sake. Do you think this is? Do you think I'm from Davos? Of the Queen's head. Wow. Yeah. And it's like, uh, I'll, I won't go to places if they make it compulsory. You won't go? I won't pa- patronise them. No. You'll just, you'll just you just patronise them? them. <laughs> I will patronise them in a patronising fashion. From a distance. <laughs> no, I think it's important to keep it. Use it or lose it. Gosh, it's I think so it's on heavy, its way. It's going on its way. <laughs> it's on its way out, isn't it? I think. I'll be the last person using I've, it if that's I what think, it comes to. I think COVID <clears throat> has uh, pushed that over a little bit because... I think pre-COVID, it wasn't. This is what I've noticed. It wasn't assumed that you were going to pay by a card. And what I've noticed over like the last year or so, maybe a bit more, is that if I go to the bar and buy something, or you know, generally anywhere to buy something, they get the card machine. Right, and sometimes I have money and I pay with money, Mm. and I'm like, oh, oh, what's what is this? 
What is this copper and brass? Well, they did that whole nonsense of well, you get you get it off the off the coins. Mm, yeah, you know, and they had this thing of people bringing the shopping home and disinfecting it. Oh God, yeah. God Almighty, they really did the a number. The amount of disinfecting <laughs> I went through, disinfecting oh, my letters. Why shit? Honestly, honestly. <laughs> um, well, do you know they did a study on old hospital people. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, oh. Old hospital people, old hospital door knobs, mm. and brass doorknobs have a antiseptic, antimicrobial yeah. uh, brass, property yeah. to them. Um, where, and they've swapped them all for like uh, chrome or aluminium or whatever. And they're not the, the same. same. Yeah, you can get uh, antimicrobial plug sockets. <laughs> antimicrobial. <laughs> 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 sound good. Antimicrobial plug sockets. MK do a range, I believe. Are they brass? No, they're plastic. It's uh, a lot of nonsense in it. Why would you want antimicrobial? For healthcare environments. Oh. Sterile environments. Because that'll stop you getting C. difficile, whatever <laughs> it is. Everyone who goes in hospital ends up getting a blooming... Yeah. Some it's, bug, don't they? Yeah, C. difficile. It's like one of, that's one of the uh, resistant ones, ones, isn't it, I think? Antibiotic like, like resistance. A, like MRSA, yeah. Someone that's the other one, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, they're not places you want to end up, are they? It makes you, no. <laughs> makes you think about the staff, though. You know, yeah. how, are, how are healthcare staff not constantly off ill with bugs and stuff? Well, they are. They are, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. It's the problem. All yeah. of them. How, how do they keep running? I don't know. I don't know. It's bizarre. Yeah. I think they'll get rid of low denomination currency first. Because, you know, ones and twos oh. and all that shit. And they might do that as a cost-saving exercise for when they're flipping the coin over the, to the, the heads. Yeah. Have they started uh, releasing Charlie? Don't think so. Charlie notes. Charles the Turd. Is it not it's a not 50p yet, or something? I thought there was some 50p's um, <laughs> coined. Oh, uh, there might be. Is that the word? Minted. Minted, that's it, isn't it? <laughs> well, you know what the best way of becoming a producer is? You could always toss us one of those new coins, couldn't you? Yes. Toss a coin Do it for to the lads. The lads. 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 You know, because oh, we're nosing and we're bloody miserable and the weather's fucking shit. Yeah, if you go to the armistinquisition.com, you'll find the PayPal button there and you can give us a one-off donation, sign up for a monthly recurring sustaining donation. And it all helps keep the lights on, pay for the uh, overheads, yep. and give us uh, like the obligation to keep going. Because people feel that they get something out of it enough to voluntarily throw us a coin every now and again. A mandate. A mandate to continue. Yeah. So do that. Link in the show notes. Good. That was a good segue, that, wasn't it? It was. As soon well as you done, mentioned yeah. coin, I was on it. Yeah. Yeah. Straight. Let's finish this off. Do we need to uh, thank the producers now? Oh, is it that time? Mm. I don't know where the uh, right bank is. Uh, time to big up the Mandems, no? It's time to big up the Mandems, yo. It's, uh, it's a rollover week, isn't it? Because it was a barn raising last oh, yes. week. So. Mm. Producers for episode 268, we have Richard Morris, Rona Kesson, Nicholas, Ben Lemaire, Matthew Chin, and Helen. Thank you. It's so amazing. They are. Yeah. So amazing. Amazing in their love. Literally the best mate, man. Literally. The best mate. Oh. <laughs> Willie. Willie. E.G. 
the dwarf, the gags, the grape, the doctor of thugonomics, the homophobe, the wind, the chest feeding, communist, the, the base sigma chad, the chance, the baby penis, inner asshole, the dime bar, the number 11, the began on the bus, the blind man, the big chungus, the cripple, and the mother of the bickering from hell, Milan. Are you retarded? I don't get it, never will. <coughs> yep. That's for your support for another week. It means the world to us. Mm. Mm. Cheers. Yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, yeah, should we do some, news, some more news? Got some more news. My favourite story this week. Yeah, it says there next to it, favourite story. Favourite oh, story. Really? Yeah, I've got a report here. I think it's from, is it from Fox News? Can't remember. Tonight, a suburban school worker is accused in a bizarre scheme involving more than a million dollars worth of stolen chicken wings. A million dollars worth. Fuck. So how much do chicken wings cost? Wholesale. <laughs> well, yeah, wholesale. Or are we talking shop bought? The woman is the former director of food services at School District 152 in South Suburban Harvey. Prosecutors say Vera Liddell placed hundreds of unauthorized orders from the school district's food vendor, including more than 11,000 cases of chicken wings. 11,000 cases of chicken wings she ordered. She was, like, into procurement for the school district. And what was she doing, like, flipping them out of her back? All right, okay. Oh, what was she? Yeah. What do you think? Well, she, she must have been selling them. You would have thought. To hooters. She was just hungry. A million dollars worth of chicken wings, yeah. Costing taxpayers $1.5 million. Investigators say the woman picked up the food orders in a school cargo van, but the wings never went to any school. It's not clear what she allegedly did with the chicken wings. It's not clear. A million dollars worth of chicken wings. 17,000, what was it, cases? Fucking hell. Wow. I mean... I mean, what would they be? Would they be? They'd be less than a dollar each, wouldn't they? At wholesale, a chicken really? wing, yeah, a think? portion of chicken wings. You would think. Are you sure it's actually happened? It's not just an, an accounting <laughs> error in the chi- in the chicken. She's been arrested, or... and she's been. Yeah, she's took the money. Where do you hide seventeen thousand cases of chicken wings? Well, it seems that she used a truck, so I'm guessing it was it all fit fit in one of the school trucks. 17,000 cases fit in one truck. Nah. How big's a chicken wing? A million's a big number. Is it not? This must have been done over a period of years or months at least. Like, yeah. Come on. That's half a million chickens. <clears throat> Maybe she was. Yeah, exactly. I've just done the math. It's, well, it's, well, yeah. That's crazy, isn't it? Half a million chickens. Where's the rest of I wonder of what, it? like, how much of a, a supply is that? Like how, how was that two weeks supply for the district? A month supply? Mm-hmm. Did she just get like ten years worth of chickens? Half a million chickens? It's a lot, a lot of chickens. I think I might have got this wrong, but I think in the UK we eat a billion chickens. Fake worth news of chicken. I'm gonna say a year. A billion chickens a year. Yeah. A billion is like. A billion's a big number. Yeah, that's like in an order of a magnitude. So, well, there's 17 million of us, roughly, isn't there? Yeah. So, what's a billion? A thousand million? I can't. I can't. I can't <laughs> He's I can't given up already. 
I, I, I use 400 grams a week. I suppose this is the thing. So we eat a lot of chicken thighs and we yeah. buy 500,000 cases. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 17,000 cases a year. <laughs> uh, I've got a little side hustle um, where I shock them on. Um, but the, I think the fact, wherever I get the 500 or two or 300 gram tub or whatever it is, tray, and a week nearly, I would say. So how many how many thighs are in one of those things? Probably, I would probably say 10 or 12 thighs. Six chickens. Six chickens. Yeah, but <clears throat> they don't just give chop the thighs off and bin the rest. They, they burn them, they bury them to confuse <laughs> archaeologists. <laughs> the bit I'm eating the bit that you don't. I'm having the breast and the gizzard. feathers. <laughs> then the what? And the gizzard. The gizzard. Mm, gizzard. Well, how often do you have chicken, Ben? How are you? Pretty regularly, maybe two or three times a week. Two or three? Yeah. You know, in, get in, something in else to eat. God. In Kiev form. <laughs> no, no, we buy we buy the chicken chicken boobs, chicken breasts, and we uh, we eat them in various forms. Right. I had a chicken pie that was made. By my wife, my oh, good lady wow. wife today. Nice. What else was in the pie other than chicken? Leek. And they're like a creamy sauce. Chicken and a puff pastry lid. Can't say that, Ben. How big was the pie? <laughs> it was it was there was enough for three of us. One and of di- us is diameter, nine. man. Uh it was in like a I don't know, the tray's about that big. Right. I say the tray, it's a, a Le Creuset. <laughs> oh, oh, for, for the listeners, it's, it's it's looking about eighteen inches long. <laughs> and also, the pot was. What ten inches across? I don't know. Right. Okay. La Crusade in cubits. That would have week. been uh, an eighteen-inch La Crusade cast iron pot. Would be two hundred pounds. There's enough. I think she puts two chicken breasts in when she's doing, and they're big. They're big fuckers. Where do you get them from? Your chicken breasts. The local farm shop. Yeah, I was going to say because. Yeah. To get big ones, uh, you've got to get go to a butcher of some sort. Yeah, yeah. Supermarket stuff is yeah. It's full of water shame. as well. Yeah, mm. they inject it with saline apparently to make them bigger. Mm. Also, human boobs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, and then uh, it's normally chicken thighs. Not really. I'm trying to think of any other. Do you have curry? Chicken curry? No. No. Fajitas. Chicken fajitas, sometimes they're two staples in our house. Um, so maybe occasion every other week we might have a breast, but it's mainly it's thighs. Lot, but yeah, yeah, thighs. Well, yeah, thighs. Yeah, I didn't used to like thighs, but now I like them. They taste they're like meaty. Yeah, you got to, they definitely taste different. It's dark meat, isn't it? Mm. It's supposed to be, but it's not. It's it. Yeah. Well, usually it's more flavorful, isn't it? Yeah. I, had, I had a proper dark chicken meat in China. They have black. I weren't fucking chicken meat. <laughs> <laughs> no, they have, they have, you can get them. They're black chicken, and it's I had a black chicken soup, and it was served in a in a fucking carcass. coconut. Ooh, and it had um, yeah, the meat was was actually black. It was interesting. It tasted like chicken, obviously. <laughs> Maybe it's a bit like um, the carrot story. Carrots, carrots, were, carrots were purple, weren't they? Oh, yes. Heritage <sighs> carrots, yeah. But now they're orange. Yeah. It's because of what they feed them. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just wondering, I'm wondering if all chickens used to be black and they thought, oh, this is a bit disgusting. 
eating black meat because you know it looks like it might have gone off. I think it's and a special, made white. like a breed of chicken. I, I think you're just making stuff up. Now. No, no. I, I watched Game of Thrones and it just looked like a regular chicken breast. Two, like that. right? Two, <laughs> two things: billion chickens a year in the UK. I'm holding on to, and black chicken is a is a, <laughs> a type of chicken you can get. It's an album name as well. Mm. Black chicken. Well, what what are you making of the egg shortage? Uh, there isn't one at Aldi. Zero impact. Full shelf of our eggs. I got yeah. a dozen yesterday. I'm sure I've been, and it says you can only get two. Two, pack, two packs. Two well, packs of eggs two each. Eggs. Why would you? 24 eggs is a lot for a week, no? And they do 15 packs at Aldi. Exactly, so 30 eggs. Why would, you, why would you need 30 eggs? I got, I got, uh, I got 12 because I'm going to do a frittata tomorrow. Again? Yeah. All oh, right, okay. What do you mean again? You did a frittata last week. Yes, but I'm going to do it better this time. Okay. So I sort of made it up as I went along. You're going to make, tw- make it with 20 eggs this time <laughs> instead of 10. I had to do nine. Nine eggs. <laughs> a nine egg frittata. Yeah. Make- I used uh, too big of a pan. Right, okay. And uh, put too much bacon in it. It was too salty. Right, okay. So I got a little thing of lard on it. It's kind of like an omelette. Right, but a frittata. It's, it's, well, it's, you cook it in the oven. And do you not put like potatoes in it and stuff you can do i don't carbs there was a woman sorry more egg instead i used to work with (laughs) and she made a spanish omelet right um but she could legitimately claim to make a spanish omelet because her husband was legitimately spanish and it was nice is it not just an omelet with potatoes in potatoes and onions yeah but it was thick tatas brava like an inch thick at least yeah Mm. tasty all right um, and she used to hate making it because it took ages. But we all Why? we all asked for asked for it every time. Is that because you have to part boil the potatoes? I don't know. I, d- I never asked. I just ate. I presume you do. If you if you're making a potato I, for a time, I you, ba- imagine you have you to boil cook, them and then them or something. Let them cool and slice yeah. them. We um we have a birthday request. Oh shit! Yeah. We missed birthdays, for, didn't we? Yes, for the Lord of Berkshire. Yeah, I did. A, I made a note as well. Oh, uh, do do. Yeah, so that's another way of becoming a, a producer, isn't it? To send us a birthday request mm. at the Element server or via the email. Uh, yes, message from Helen. It's my birthday on the 8th. Next Wednesday, I'll be 41. Happy birthday, Hugh Janus. And it's my other half, Gary's birthday on the 6th next Monday. Happy birthday, you giant mistake. <laughs> <laughs> happy birthday, guys. Yeah, happy birthday. Uh, Gary... You know, Gary's are dying out, apparently. Yeah. The name Gary. As are Keith's, and we got one next week. And Jeff's, I imagine. Baby Jeff. Trevor's. Baby Trevor. Nigel. Nigel's gone. What else? What other? <laughs> Stuart. <laughs> Stuart's probably going. Stuart's probably going. Mm. Methuselah. <laughs> Gavin. Barabbas. Muhammad. Gavin. Oh, Muhammad. No, I don't think so. No, no. Mahatma. Uh, Gary is definitely dying out. Gareth. I think you have to be called Gaz, don't you? I don't want to be called Gaz if I was a Gary. Gaz. Yeah. For short. Yeah. Like, like Gaza. Mm. Still, it's still weird when you think about like babies being called those obvious man's names. <laughs> like Gareth and Keith and... Kevin. Kevin, yeah. Baby Kevin. Ronald. I bet that's Roland. Roland, yeah. Yeah. 
We've had a Roland on the show. Roland and Mark? On Marsh. Oh, yes. And Marsh. On Marsh. And Marsh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Professor Roland. On Marsh. <laughs> mm. He came to, on to defend his <laughs> Moonfall film. <laughs> <laughs> Roland yes. Emmerich. Wow. What a th- <clears throat> You know, from Stargate, which I... I think still stands up. I think it's still a very good film, Stargate. It's at least very as good, good as Moonfall. <laughs> it's fucking far superior to pretty much anything Emmerich's done. Um, I like the uh, the one where he, the, the world flooded and froze. Day after tomorrow. Dennis Quaid. Yeah. And Jake Gyllenhaal. Mm. Yeah, there were, it was of its time, wasn't it? Yeah. There was a glut of those disaster movies mm-hmm. and uh, that time has passed. Now it's just on the news. <laughs> it's just it. real life. Stargate is uh, a, gr- a, a, f- a four and a half map film, I would suggest. <laughs> Strong. Still dropping bombs. What do you think about Stargate SG-1, the TV series? I think it had its moments. Did you watch that all the way through to the end? No. It went on forever, didn't it? I don't know. I watched some of Atlantis, Stargate Atlantis. Right. That starred Jason Momoa. Did he? That was ah. his first TV, well, first thing I saw him in. Right. And um, a, a guy, like a lieutenant colonel guy, like the equivalent of... MacGyver. MacGyver, yeah. It MacGyver. Was, say what was interesting about Stargate, particularly Stargate Atlantis, but also... This, Please do. Is the mythology behind it. Here the gods. We, yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Quite interesting, yeah, the Atlantis. And it was they were all worms. Well, no, that was just one race of aliens. Oh, was it? Right, the, okay, uh, here we go. Peeling it back like oh, an onion. called? The, do you have an apostrophe? Yeah. Teal'c. had a symbiote in him. Mm. But the, the Goa'uld <laughs> was the name, wasn't it? The Goa'uld. I don't know. That's really. the name of the evil alien symbiotes that took over people. Right. So Ra in the original film. Mm-hmm. It's a human body who was taken control of by this symbiote, this parasite, mm. space alien. Mm. Right. And there was an Apophis, you know, Egyptian god in a spaceship and various other Egyptian gods and stuff. But when they went to the Atlantis series, they brought a lot of Atlantean mythology, lost civilization, ancient tech, such right. a thing, you know. Mm, that's quite good. It was it was interesting, but it's it's bubblegum nonsense essentially. So well, here we go. It's an hour. Oh, well, I thought we had him. I thought <laughs> we had him then. It's a way of killing an hour. You know, forty five minutes. Scratch yeah. the surface. Mm. It's more interesting to actually read about. Oh, oh. no. <laughs> Come on, Jeremy. Rather than the make believe, you can you can actually look into the history of it, which I think is more interesting. More worthwhile. Worthwhile. <laughs> Not worthwhile. Mm. Wild. Oh, right. Well, that was that was terribly boring for everyone listening. I know. Can only apologise. But yeah, check your chicken facts, everyone. I'll be back next week with more. Oh, look, you see, look, Quaid. Quaid. Open your mind. <laughs> Open your mind. Quaid. (laughs) 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 We should probably. It's not a tumor. (laughs) 
should probably leave. <laughs> what? We should leave. Well, I've got a couple of more clips. Oh, did, you hear Jordan, really? did you hear Jordan Peterson on the Joe Rogan experience this week? No, I've not watched it. God, he's so <laughs> fascinating. Such a fascinating has he, guy. Has he said something crazy again? He's always saying crazy stuff. Okay. And also very interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. You just n- don't know what's going to come out of his mouth. But yeah, this diatribe on the question, the trans question. Oh, somebody uh, sent me a clip of this, actually. Did they? A on quote. what format? A quote. Of, they wrote it down. Right. But Zuck. Zucker showed very clearly he ran the transgender treatment <coughs> clinic at CAMH in Toronto for decades, and he was one of the world's leading authorities in terms of publication. I think he was the editor of the lead journal for years. They just took him out in Canada, fired him and disgraced him, and he battled on the lawsuit front for like 10 years and was eventually vindicated, but he didn't have a political bone in his body. He was a clinician through and through, you know. He wasn't playing political games, documenting autogynophilia. That was just clinical reality. Now it's, it's become verboten to even suggest such a thing. Oh, there's nothing sexual about this. It's like, yeah, right. You're dressing up in lingerie before your mirror at home, tucking your dick between your legs, imagining you have a vagina for a sexual kick. Oh, there was nothing sexual about that. Yeah, right. Wow. He has jobs above there, isn't he? That sounds like he's speaking from experience. <laughs> <laughs> hey, who hasn't done it? Who hasn't took the tick? I'm doing it right now. Tucking your dick between your legs. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard him swear before. No, he doesn't. Uh, no. He's angry. No, he's angry. Well, he's got good reason to be angry because a lot of these procedures are irreversible that they're, that they're doing to kids. I mean, yeah. he, he talks about the Tavistock and not getting shut down and stuff, you know. But Well, it's the, yes, it's the uh, prescription of puberty blockers and it can be cut. He goes on to say, like, if you just leave them alone, mm. generally, I think he quotes 80% or 85% or 90% of them. By the time they reach 18, they've worked it out. They've worked it out of their system. But the problem is if you start doing this st- stuff at 13, 14, 15... Or younger. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seems that it's calming down now. You'd hope. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Next big thing is genderless uh, dragons. <laughs> 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 Ex-finance workers. That's it. That's where you need to focus your energies Mm. now. I was watching a bit of his podcast. He had um, Matt Ridley on, who's a science journalist, science author. Some of his podcasts are really good. Mm. Matt! Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He he introduces him really aggressively. He does that with all of them. I know, it's weird, His his intros he does, it's like, Kevin! Matt! (laughs) And then he goes on, and he's like, and he is a Matt, you're dressing up in lingerie before your mirror at home. We've all put on some nice feeling knickers. <laughs> Tucking your dick between your legs. And enjoyed the sensation. Imagining you have a vagina. <laughs> I mean, so angry. <laughs> um, oh, I wish I could. Took my... Uh, Elongated <laughs> balls between my legs. It's not a possibility anymore. You gotta swing them over your hips. <laughs> <laughs> Are, you not you... <laughs> Are you not? <laughs> Are you not? Are you not? Are you still shooting? Are you shooting blanks yet? Who knows? I did. I uh, dropped off the last sample, the fourth sample. <laughs> God. 
because I just can't work them out of the you, system. You can get microscopes for pretty cheap. <laughs> Save yourself a lot of trouble. Um, I don't really want to, you know, conduct my own vasectomy. <laughs> Who hasn't done that? <laughs> On myself. I mean, I could just get two bricks, couldn't I? That would be oh, the other option. That's fucking... I'd do it. Mm. <laughs> Sexy. It's better than tucking your dick between your legs, apparently, though. Tucking your dick between your legs. <laughs> Who's got the biggest cock? Imagining you have a vagina. You're dressing up in lingerie before your mirror at home. Matt! <laughs> That's what it would sound like when eventually I'm brought onto the Jordan Peterson podcast to discuss my research findings. 2025 yeah. after the meeting of the uh, the higher beings. Yeah. Once you've finished with that, you can go on the... Uh, Matt! <laughs> go on the Matt. JB podcast. Are we going to go? 2025? Tibet. Yeah. Tibet. Is that, do you reckon that's where it's going to be? He said. Oh, said it is in Tibet. Tibet. Right, okay. Mm. Where? <laughs> in Tibet, I mean... I don't know. Someone will know. Yeah, they just get there and like, get to the airport and say, so... We're here. Yeah, there'll be a concierge. <laughs> Did that not uh, the, the propeller airplane drop out of the sky into bed recently? Well, I think it might have done, yeah. Yeah, I don't want to go there. Okay. I think there could be an alive situation. I think so. I wouldn't eat you. Matt! <laughs> Imagining you have a vagina. It probably tastes like chicken. So this is... <coughs> he's saying that that is a kink he said that's a component of it autogynephilia right there's a there's a a very well-known body of research into autogynephilia the guy was the lead author lead lead researcher in that field was essentially cancelled oh right he had a lawsuit put up against him by the canadian authorities or whatever which he eventually vindicated himself and won but obviously you know trashed his career Mm. i think you know these, these things are complicated I think yeah. it's just highlighting the point that, you know, he said it's verboten. You mm. can't say that now, mm-hmm. even though that it is a component of it. You know, that right. some people do it for a, for a, as a kink. Mm. We used to call them transvestites. Yeah. There used to be a thing called a transvestite, and it was men generally who got some sort of thrill out of dressing in women's clothes. Yeah. You know, that I'm was, a that's sweet transvestite from oh, sexual yes. Transylvania. Yes. Rocky Horror Show. Rocky Horror Show, yeah. Mm. But this is a very different... Verboten! Well, it's a different kettle of fish what we're dealing with now. It's it's kids and it's mainly young girls. <coughs> yeah, that's the thing, I suppose, Very young it? teenage girls. That's, I think it's just sounding the alarm that have got to be careful with this this stuff and young yeah. minds. And, and there are certain um, motivations within the medical community that push this. There mm. are financial incentives. There are self... Well, it's a massive industry. You're taking a 13-year-old girl and yeah. medicating her for life. Yes. Do you know how much the treatments are? Mm. Expensive. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's more of an issue in the in the States because of the healthcare system there. Mm. But then you get these places like the Tavistock. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, you know. We, we It's growing and growing. And it's being reinforced by the culture, and particularly in schools. Not, again... Unfortunately, not as much over here, mm. but particularly in, in America. Yeah. It was a big thing, wasn't it? So I don't think there's any harm in sounding the alarm about it and just being aware of it because it's, you know. Matt! <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Stop tucking your dick between your legs. Mm. So angry. So angry. It's because he cares about it. You know, I think. I think that's something to do with that Russian blood transfusion he had. He seems to be healthy now, doesn't he? Because he was was touch and go, I think, at one point, wasn't it? In recent times. He was really ill. Addicted to. Barbiturates, was it? Mm, I I think it was, wasn't it? Is that a painkiller? Possibly. It was. uh, Or diazepam. It's a form of diazepam. It was a diazepam. Yeah. But called a brand. Benzos, no? Benzodiazepam. I think that's what it is. It's called diazepam in the UK and it's called something else in America. Vicodin. Is it what house? That's the brand name. Vicodin is what house was on. Right. It's good stuff. Xanax is is a fast acting version of it, basically. What does Xanax do to you? Same. It chills you out. It's a chill out thing. Yeah, that's what it does. Matt Apocalypse says he's addicted to marzipan. Mm. Are you addicted to marzipan? Or was Jordan Peterson? I can I can take a leave marzipan. It's a bit weird. Uh, no? it's, yeah, it's like shouldn't be food. It's sugar not and, like sugar and almonds rolled up. It's not like icing. No. Icing on a cake is far superior. Do you like if anyone gets me a birthday cake with marzipan on it, I'll, I'll throw it across the room. Matt cancel it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh did, you, did Matt Apocalypse just eat marzipan at Christmas <coughs> then? Did you have a, a marzipan stuffed turkey for Christmas? Oh, God. There are these sort of bakers, aren't there, who make cakes uh, like that look like household objects or strange oh, there's objects. There's a whole like. show devoted to that on TV. You'll, mm. be, you'll not be surprised to hear. Is it yeah. Bake Off? Is, no, it's like, is it cake or something? Yes. <laughs> is it cake or and is then it... They cut, they cut, it might be like this ashtray and they'll, they'll cut into it and it'll actually be a cake mm. or an ashtray. Is that the fun, is being able to guess? Being able to guess and then waiting for an advert to, to, to play before it's revealed, yeah? Wow. Yeah. What else has been on recently? It's something called Dance Monsters, which is like the masked dancer or singer or whatever except they're cgi and it's the guys are in the back with the ping pong ball green green screen seats on why i mean and are they famous dancers <laughs> no are they eight? there's no one's famous on it just people it's called people the man <laughs> is it the thing with the mass singer it was like some select some soap opera yeah actress exactly or something. yeah, no, yeah so who are the dancers i think they might be professional dancers <laughs> right but i mean they win Lots of money, apparently. My yeah, daughter's hooked, but she's nine. So. I was just about to say, I, I'm wondering if you were dredging these bottoms with your daughter rather than for yourself. Yeah, I'm not. No, I'm not into dance monsters. It's not. It's not quite <coughs> captured me the way that Raised by Wolves did. Yeah. <laughs> Have you heard of Miku? Meat. Miku. Miku. Is it a umami paste? No, it's a digital pop star. Miku. Miku. Mika. Miku. She is, I don't know whether she originated from Japan or South Korea. Right. But she's a virtual pop star. Wow. And you can go and watch her. And it will be like a hologram or on a screen. And uh, she's a completely fake virtual personality. And lots of people fall in love with her, obviously. Mm -hmm. Because it's sort of, it's like an anime thing. Sounds sexy. So, 
Have you ever seen it, the Archer series? No. The Archers. Archer. <laughs> the, the, the cartoon, not the Archers. No, I've not seen Archer. All right. There's a there's a scientist technician type guy who has a virtual sort of anime girlfriend in that. Like a virtual assistant. More a virtual fleshlight. <laughs> gross. <laughs> yeah, it is gross. Disarono. Mm. Oh my word. Oh yeah, that's the that's the cake. Cake juice. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking of it like a dessert. It's got a square lid. Yeah. Is it like a Oh Irish coffees. Is that not a, a an almond liqueur? Yes, yeah. it is, De Serrano. I used to make De Serrano coffees at Christmas. <coughs> Did you? Back in the day. Yeah. You Not just have anything with alcohol in. More than coffee. <laughs> more and more De Serrano than coffee, generally. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, that's reminding. I'll have to buy a bottle for next year. Get it cheap. I'll tell you what it was. I used to go, we used to go to um, a pub, a restaurant, pub restaurant at Broughton. Mm-hmm. And it's still there. But I can't remember. It's Broughton Inn. And they used to do uh, like liqueur coffees, mm. and you could have like a, a liqueur coffee and a mini pud, oh, like yeah. a mini pud, like a mini chocolate brownie or a mini cheesecake, or whatever. And I, I had a Disarono there, liqueur coffee, and it was like the tastiest thing ever. Mm. So I started making them at home. Mm. Yeah, so that's reminded me. Eric loves dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> That turkey dinosaurs. (laughs) (laughs) Well, shall we go? Yeah. Are we not doing Biden's? Well, if you thought Jordan Peterson's (laughs) rant about the trans situation was risque, Mm -hmm. check out um, Creepy Uncle Joe. You can find it. It's just there where it says Biden trans. Here. You will never be a real woman. You have no womb, you have no ovaries, you have no eggs. You're a homosexual man twisted by drugs and surgery into a crude mockery of nature's perfection. All the validation you get is two-faced and half-hearted. Behind your back, people mock you. Your parents are disgusted and ashamed of you. Your friends laugh at your ghoulish appearance behind closed doors. Men are utterly repulsed by you. Thousands of years of evolution have allowed men to sniff out frauds with incredible efficiency. Even trannies who pass look uncanny and unnatural to a man. Your bone structure is a dead giveaway. And even if you manage to get a drunk guy home with you, he'll turn tail and bolt the second he gets a whiff of your diseased, infected axe wound. So, <laughs> one thing, I've never seen Joe Biden speak so <laughs> No, I mean, that's just a dead giveaway, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Look how lucid he's talking. He hasn't fumbled oh. his words once. It's, it's not good, far though, off, is it? No, no, it's not far off. It's terrifying, really. Mm. I mean, the sync, the lip sync isn't right, but the voice is perfect. I mean, yes. there's only 48 stars in those flags now. <laughs> you will never be happy. You wrench out a fake smile every single morning and tell yourself it's going to be okay, but deep inside you feel the depression creeping up like a weed, ready to crush you under the unbearable weight. Eventually, it'll be too much to bear. You'll buy a rope. Oh, that's enough, because it gets a bit dark yes. after that. I do want a uh, snippet of Biden saying, you will never be happy, though. <laughs> the soundboard. <laughs> but, uh, they've done a good job oh, on, the, on the audio. I yeah. mean, th- th- it raises the question, like, five, ten years, you won't really be able to believe anything no. you see or hear. No, no, this is the, the danger. Mm. 
How will you know what's real and fake anymore? Well, it won't matter because you just won't listen to anything. When <laughs> Joe Biden's still president in 15 years' time. Talking perfectly. Yeah. Well, no. Exactly. Well, some people think he's already a deep fake. Well, I mean, be. the thing is, it's like, I don't know who made that. Some guy in his basement, probably. <laughs> How, in his you mom's know, basement. What do you think is the yeah. comparable level of tech that the CIA, for example, has? Exactly, yeah. Or uh, the Chinese Communist Party. Or... Uh, Balloons. What they call GCHQ. Mm-hmm. The boffins working in there. It makes you <laughs> makes you wonder, doesn't it? Yeah. What's real? Yeah. You're a boffin, Ben. Well, it's... Yeah. <laughs> See, Matt, Matt, apocalypse, you could automate the Armist Inquisition. Yeah. How yeah. do you know it's not already happening? I know. I know. It's too shit. We couldn't afford to Based digitize... Sigma uh, Chad. Digitize the skin above my eyes, so I have to wear a hat every week. <laughs> we are past ten. Wow, this yeah. is amazing. It's good. This is this is this is the perfect time to yeah. finish. Efficient. Yeah, yeah. I think it's time to go, isn't it? It's felt it is. tight. We'll be back next week. We will with uh, Keith Hunter, Big Keith, Big Chungus. Big Chungus. You got caught sucking your fingers on the bus. <laughs> oh. Willie G. Willie G. Isle of Cox. How about that? Are you entertained? Are you not entertained? Yes. I love you. Right, see you next week then. Goodbye. Have a great week, guys. Yeah. What are you going to do, Matt? I am going to aim for the prostate in the men. Run, boy. Respect. I'm going to praise Javelin. Really? Even though he got told off. Oh, it wasn't you who got told off by Dave, was it? It was you. Yeah. The, uh, the ball. <laughs> You're not about Sol. Sol Invictus. I think so, no, yeah. It's Ball. 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 The oh. uh, YouTube thing. Oh, oh right, yeah. With ball worshippers. Oh yes. Oh yeah. To get if you put, if you use a picture of ball in your show artwork, you must be a ball worshipper. Mm. Oh well. <laughs> took, the, took those barlicks away. More of a ball worshipper. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for watching. Right. See you later. Yep. Going to Somerset. Dime bar. Wagwan fam, you're going to Somerset. Put your teacher out of Matt! Matt! Reported to have been a rod of God. I like it when it gets a little soft. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over! Matt! You're dressing up in lingerie before your mirror at home.